Hello and welcome to the Reconstructionist Podcast where we help you reconstruct while you deconstruct so you don't self-destruct. So this week we have someone who has made a massive impact on my life, uh, a guy by the name of Mark Clark. And I first heard Mark when I was in grade 11 at Youth Quake at Briarcrest College. I remember I was there for experience Briarcrest and Mark came out to do a sermon and he immediately grabbed my attention um, because I have ADHD and I have a hard time paying attention. So usually in sermons, I kind of zone out, but Mark was very animated and a little bit yelly. <laughs> if you've ever listened to Mark, he speaks pretty loud and he's very intense. But for me, I was able to grab on and to actually listen to him because he was so animated and in your face. Um, and so it was, it, he, he really helped me at a young age kind of sort through what it actually means to follow Jesus. He really challenged me um, to not just see following Jesus as a bunch of beliefs that I have or that it's going to church or whatever, but it's actually like the way I live my life um, how I spend my money, how I spend my time, the things I think about, like that is actually where following Jesus in is. You might be someone who believes in Jesus, but whether or not you're actually someone who's being discipled, who's who's being molded to look like him, um, that might actually be something that's not true of you. And so me and Mark talk about this a little bit in this podcast. Uh, I had a ton of fun talking with him. We talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then we also talk about evangelism because I know that for a lot of us, we hear that word and we curl up and we're like, oh gosh, oh no, not evangelism. We imagine people on the streets yelling at people and being like, you're going to hell. And Mark takes a really interesting approach um, that I think will surprise a lot of you because um, Mark's a Baptist kid so you think that oh he's going to answer this a certain way and he's going to tell me to get on the streets and say whatever but that's not actually what he does he actually does something um pretty interesting and pretty unique um but i wanted to give him a little bit of a plug so this month mark is coming out with a new book called the problem of jesus it's a sequel to his book the problem of god where he kind of went through a bunch of different um skeptical things that people have about jesus whether it's hell whether it's sex um, whether it's whether we can trust the Bible and he tackled those things to try to provide some answers And so this one is about Jesus about Jesus who he is how we know that he's real how he's actually God and that comes out on February 23rd um, So if it's already past the date pick up the book I haven't read it But if it's anything like the last one, it's probably got some good stuff in there and if it's not out yet Maybe pre-order if you like what you hear in this podcast um, But without further ado, here's Mark Hey, Mark. How's it going? I'm very well, sir. How are you doing? Oh, I am doing great. So for Good. like years and years, ever since you spoke at Youthquake at Briarcrest. Um, oh, yeah. I remember that. Ago, was cold. It yeah. was the coldest I've very, ever been in my life. Very cold. You have no idea. Uh, <laughs> when That was the first time I saw you. And I remember sitting there as someone in high school and you just like immediately grabbed my attention. I was like, wow, I don't think I've ever... Mm heard someone preach like this before especially in Canada because we're Canadians so we don't really preach really angry or anything sure sure <laughs> and, and ever since ever since then I've been listening to you and you've been a huge influence on me so this is like oh, an awesome honor to have you on here. oh well thank you for saying that I appreciate it hopefully I wasn't too angry no 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 it was good it was a good kind of anger <laughs> um so for those of you who don't know who you are can you just give us a little intro to you, who you are what you do yeah, I'm uh, I'm a pastor in Vancouver, a pastor of a church called Village Church, and um, we started it in 2010, January, and we just uh, started telling people about Jesus with about 16 of us in my house and started to grow and expand, and people started meeting Jesus and getting their life totally 
you know, turned upside down and loving the mm. Bible and whatever. And then they started telling people. So then more people started. It was kind of this crazy, you know, um, thing that went down. And so we kind of grew out to um, five or six sites. And then we're uh, just planted a site in, uh, well, planting during COVID is interesting because what does that mean? But uh, <laughs> we have we have officially uh, started gathering people to plant a church in uh, Winnipeg mm. and, the, and Toronto. And we have one in Calgary as well. So we're trying to make our way across this, you know, this great country and, and uh, reach people for Jesus in all kind of the major cities across Canada. That's kind of the vision. So mm. we'll see where it's going, but it's, uh, it's been a ride, man. So that's, that's what I do. And uh, I am um, a writer in my little bit of spare time that I have in life. I got, uh, so I, I put a book out a couple of years ago um, called The Problem of God. And then uh, releasing one in uh, February 23rd called The Problem of Jesus, which is clearly a follow-up. Uh, and uh, I got three daughters and a uh, wife. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so living live in Vancouver. So Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, I can't imagine planting a church right now. I, a little bit of hope for you is my, my roommate's been watching Village during this whole lockdown thing. He was in between mm. figuring out stuff and he's excited because he got a new job in Winnipeg and he's like, oh, I can't wait. <laughs> oh, there you go. Perfect. All right. <laughs> there you go. It's already, you got one. launch team is gathering. Yeah, yeah there you go. Um, yeah. So I know for me personally, you came in at like just the time to kind of shake me and wake me up to Jesus. And I was kind of like in a sale. I grew up in church. So like I knew all about the Jesus stuff and I've been there my whole life, but I think that there was just a point where um, like I just had to wrestle with, am I actually following Jesus? And I, and then that was something that I wrestled with, which like, I believe all these things, but do I actually follow him? And so I wanted to ask you, like, when you think of a follower of Jesus, what does that mean? Is it just someone who goes to church? Is it someone who reads the Bible? Is it just someone who believes in Jesus? Like what? Does it actually mean to be a follower of Jesus? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it'd probably be a long list that would take a longer podcast, you know, but, um, <laughs> but you know, there's some stuff around, uh, you know, certain ways of thinking. So obviously Jesus had a, a theology. Mm -hmm. he, he believed things, a certain things about God. Um, for instance, he was a monotheist. So he believed God is one God and, you know, he would worship him and, um, but he, uh, but then he, and he believed things about the kingdom. He believed he was bringing the kingdom of God. He believed salvation only came through him. You know, he had these theological things about him. And so on the one hand, I think it's important if you're calling yourself a follower of Jesus, that you believe the things Jesus believed. That's probably yeah. important. Uh, you know, and so now what's happened sometimes is you get these camps that like, they're only about that. Right. Mm. So it's only about make sure you have good theology that's all that matters. You know, the, the gateway to heaven is a, a test that that tests your doctrine and whether you've got the Trinity right and whether you've got the deity of Christ right and whether you've got the, you know, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So so that that's kind of weird because that's not what I would say a follower of Jesus is alone. I would say then there's as, aspects to their life, the way they live. So mm -hmm. they believe some stuff, but they live in a particular way. And, and I talk about this, in the problem of Jesus book in, in the chapter on discipleship, I talk about the idea that like, you know, Jesus whole image of 169, 269 times the word disciple is used in the new Testament and three times the word Christian is used. So it is yeah. the paradigm for following Jesus in the world is being a math, a taste, a learner of both 
you know, a theology, but also a way of living, a way of being human in the world. And when you read the teachings of Jesus and you watch his life, he had a particular way of being. And so uh, is it good enough for someone to say, you know, I have a different doctrine on the deity of Christ than my neighbor, but I still watch Netflix the same amount. I still spend my money the same mm. amount. I still do the same thing with my sex life. That's not the picture of Christianity the New Testament gives. It's a holistic life where all of these things are alternative to the empires that we exist within. Mm. And so a follower of Jesus believes some stuff, but they be they 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 fall, they live their life in a particular way. First John talks about the idea that you would walk like Jesus. And so um the problem though is then there's people over on the other camp that they're only about that. Yeah. You know, what would Jesus do? Mm-hmm. And live your life like Jesus. Jesus was all about loving people. Jesus was all about, you know, kind of this. And they don't, and they say, what your theology doesn't matter, right? That yeah. it's, it doesn't, you know, you just have to live a good life. And basically that becomes kind of a religious myth. You know, you hear mm-hmm. what would Jesus do too much? You you begin to go, but I'm not Jesus. And it becomes crushing. Yeah. Because you're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Mm. Jesus had to be Jesus because we're precisely because we're not, you know? Mm. And so the, the, the image that we sometimes get, and again, I talk about this in the discipleship chapter is people who are trying to do some stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, do, do this, don't do that. And that version of Christianity is actually crushing. Whereas the, the paradigm of the new Testament is, is not like, um, look like Jesus as if that's, as if that's like how you're going to, it's, you look like Jesus which is derivative of unity with Christ. That tends mm. to be the emphasis of the New Testament, you know, be in Christ, be close to Christ, and then looking like him as a result. Mm. And so I think it's believing, I think it's a certain way of life, I think it's belonging, you know, it's a whole list of things that I think yeah. being a follower of Jesus entails, but that's some of them. No, and that's, that's very interesting, I think, for me personally, because I, I don't know, there's, there is a struggle of, um, especially in the Western world, I think it's just easy to kind of believe that Jesus is God, but then does that actually, like, I don't know, I, I challenge myself on it where it's like in the way I spend my time and the things I do in the way I spend mm-hmm. my money, does it actually make a difference? And, and even in that too, like I've seen friends who um, get all wrapped up in a really good thing, which is like Jesus is about justice. He's about saving people being with people um being with the oppressed um lifting them up but then there's also the friends on the other side who are like it's all about just all i do every day is just read my bible which is like that's a good thing but uh, Mm. there's there's more than just you and your room locked away so why do you think i don't know that we and even myself just struggle with being in those two polarized worlds but even just to like get it like why i don't know i just want to ask like why why does it feel so hard to follow Jesus well, and why do we get it wrong so much? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's probably um, different aspect. One, one aspect to that is I, I think maybe we don't trust um, that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And, and here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean by that. So, um, hey guys, you know, you read the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Right. Hey, you can't worship both God and money. I think that's one of the only things we think we can do both at the same time, or we want to Mm. let me, let me worship God and money. I think I can handle it. Right. Um, So the problem with that is, is that 
he says constantly in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, live your life like this, love your enemy, you know, don't lust after women, don't, you know, totally, you know, worship money and things and don't worry and whatever. And if you do those things, you know, infused with the power of the spirit and based on the cross and resurrection, all of that, if you do those things, then there'll be treasures in heaven for you. And so there's this sense of like, hey, there might be sacrifices in the 80 years, mm -hmm. but it's going to define the pleasure and delight you're going to have in the next 80 million. Mm -hmm. and, and that's where, to come back to your question, I'm not sure we believe that. Yeah. That's why there's a, see, if we really believed it, who, who would, like, what, what do you, what does it matter? It's like 80 years, who cares? Like I'll mm -hmm. live in abject poverty and, you know, sell everything I own and go run around or whatever. Uh, because I know there's all these like rewards for a life like that. Mm -hmm. And it's going to make my 80 billion, like the pleasure and the, and the delight of the Lord and the new creation. It's going to be crazy. So yeah, whatever this little blip, what does it matter? But and that gap of actually trusting that that's going to happen, yeah, I think makes us hold on, you know, to the things of the world and not really take the leap. That makes me that makes me uncomfortable because it's like you say you believe in this, but the way you live is it's as if you don't. And so uh, I don't know who said it. There's someone who's coined it. I'm sure it wasn't even them. Where it's like you're almost like a Christian atheist, where you like believe right. in Jesus, but you live as if like you didn't believe any of it and i think for me and 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 this is a challenge for me and this is something that i think that i've seen you're really good at and is challenging for me is this whole idea of like evangelism especially in canada because i just feel so like if you actually believe that jesus is like the son of god that he came that he died mm -hmm. that he rose again and that he's like offering new life to people um eternal life and that to to not have him is to not have eternal life like mm. that would, if you actually believe that it's pretty serious but i think even for myself like it just feels so i i do believe it but then i get nervous about like if i really believe this message of course i want to tell people i want to share it with people i want to i want to tell them about jesus and what mm -hmm. he's done mm -hmm. But you get, especially I think in our culture, but I think that it's so much worse everywhere else. So that's also kind of a silly thing to say, but I do think there's this like fear of like, well, does that really work? Like going to someone random being like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus or like my friends and family, like being super pushy, isn't that gonna push them away? And we have, I have this like inner thing where I just like don't want to, and it's just easier to stay in my house or in the church and do this thing. Um, so <laughs> do we have to? evangelize the way i'm describing or is there something better or or how do we fight with that that urge to just not uh even though we might believe it we just are too frightened to of what that would mean if we started i don't know yeah, well yeah i think that we uh you know c.s lewis gave the analogy years ago where he said you know you have divorced people and you have like people who've never been married before right mm. And when you talk to those groups about marriage, uh, you talk differently. So mm -hmm. if I talk to the, you know, the up and coming 22 year old who's never been married and talk to them about marriage, they're ecstatic, they're excited, right? It's like, oh, budgets and sex and a life together. And you, yeah. oh, so exciting. But I talk to a, a 40 year old who's been through a terrible divorce and I talk about marriage, it's gonna be much more reluctant 
much more like, well, you know, I've been through that. I don't really like it, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, when it comes to Christianity, uh, the Canadian world is divorced. Mm. They're, they've been through Christianity. It's not yeah. pre-Christian, it's post-Christian. You mm. walk into a, a, a random village somewhere, you know, they're the virgin waiting to get married when they hear about Jesus. Like, yeah. what? This, this is crazy. Like, we've, we've had all these false gods. We've had to sacrifice our children. I mean, think about mm. this, Aiden, the, the concept of all through history, you had, you had to sacrifice your kids and your grain and your money and your body to the gods. And here mm. comes a message that says God sacrificed his kid for you. Mm so that you don't have to sacrifice anything. There's no more temple. There's no more holy land. There's no more ethnic people. There's no more, there's not, this, this is all gone. Mm. And now, you know, there's no more pilgrimages because Jesus took the ultimate pilgrimage for you. All of this is the stuff that's worked you to the bone and kept you poor and kept you, you know, unsure and, and shame, the shame culture mm. where people, when they bring shame on their families, you know, take their own life, you know, all of this is gone in Jesus. Like this is freeing. This is liberating. This is amazing. And then we come to Canada. It's like, yeah, we've been through that. We know the downsides. We know Mm -hmm. that the church becomes hypocritical and leaders aren't perfect. And, you know, all these reasons why, you know, every generation of 20 year olds tends to question their faith and leave the church. Yeah. And it's almost a rite of passage. I don't want it to happen, Mm. but sometimes it does. And it's usually the same script. You know, I I talk to a 20 year old now who might be deconverting from Christianity and they, they think it's the first time anyone's ever done it. It's like, well, just go back to 2000 (laughs) when everyone was reading, you know, all these books and going through the exact same thing. And then you go back to 91 and everyone was doing it because their, their families you know, punch this left behind series down their throat. And they all thought mm-hmm. it was crazy and wanted yeah. to leave the church. And then you go into 81 and you realize that, Oh, the leaders are hypocritical. It's all, it's the same stuff. So I get it. It's not good. Um, but at least there has to be a historical perspective. It's like, it's like, I'm, I'm talking to my friends right now. I don't know if you're having these end time conversations because of COVID, you know, mm-hmm. and they're like, yeah. Oh, the vaccines and the end times and the mark of the beast. And they're trying the globalists are trying to control us, you know, all this kind of stuff. And you're like, you literally t- are taking the script from uh, 20 years ago around millennium bug or whatever. And then, 30 years before that, the late great planet Earth, mm-hmm. um, and then 40 years before that, and then in the 1500s, and then like just have some historical perspective on you're literally thinking the same thing every generation has thought before you. So just have some humility in it. But without that historical perspective, they just think this is this is the way it is. And this mm-hmm. is the only time it's ever been like this. And you're like, okay, well, just you know, anyway, all that to say, um, Hypocrisy, for instance, isn't the greatest reason to leave the church because, of course, the church is hypocritical. It's full of non-Christians, and it's full of sinners. And you know, and 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 you know, I think it was Solzhenitsyn who who gave the image. He says, you know, if I'm walking along a path, and and I I'm trying to get to a house, and you come up to me and you ask me, what's the way to the house, and I point you 
but I'm walking along the path drunkenly, does that make it any less true that that's the right way? It's like, Christians are gonna fumble this. It doesn't mean it's not true. It just means you need to look at Jesus rather than Christians. So that's, yeah. So I, yeah, we've seen, I've seen, and I've even been there where it's like, you struggle with the hypocrisy. You see like during the last month of like Jesus 2020 signs in the States. And you're like, ah, those hypocrites. I don't want anything to do with that. Mm. Um, But then for us, like, so if, if we believe in Jesus and if in Canada, I would say on average, most people at this point are kind of, they don't even know too much about the biblical story anymore Mm. but they see those things and they still feel that way of like why would i ever want to join like they're already hostile i even know um my fiance is in university just a regular university and they uh, as students talk about certain things and they were talking about personal biases and they were just being honest and open about it and a lot of the people in that room were like i personally have like a bias towards christians where when i hear someone is a christian i just immediately recoil because i just am I'm like, oh, that that weird stuff, you're into that and all of that hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. So how do we, as Jesus followers today, exist in the climate that we're in? But what does it look like to reach out to those people who have those sorts of feelings where they're no longer like the new and fresh, like, wow, this is so exciting, but mm-hmm. they're on the other side. If we've already been here, I don't know if I want to go back. Um, what advice would you give to us? How do we reach those people? Well, I think there's a few things. I mean, there's... there's uh there's the ideas um, portion of the conversation, which is let's uh, let's make sure if we're going to be skeptical of the of Christianity, let's make sure that it's not it's a legitimate skepticism and not just a repulsion, hmm. because you know there's a lot of things that don't f- sound good or fit. it's it's hard to fire someone, but it might be the right thing to do. Yeah. And on the, on the flip side, adultery sounds like a blast, but it's the wrong thing to do. Hmm. So we got to be careful not to trust repulsions or feelings uh, necessarily as the main paradigm of decision-making around ideas, because just because you might not like something doesn't mean it's, it's not true. Yeah. And so, Hey, I, you know, I, Christianity leaves a bad taste in my mouth or whatever. Well, okay. But is that because it's not true or just, you know, like, do you have any like historical reasons to believe it's not true? You know, whatever, like, is there, you know, so, so there's the ideas side of it where we have to be making sure that we're questioning the question. We need to make sure we're doubting the doubts. We need to make sure we go, what's the thing. And then what's the thing behind the thing? What's the real reason I may not be liking this or I'm rejecting this. And oftentimes what I find is it's not, it's not because you know, epistemologically, I just can't get to the place where, you know, it's not that it's not, it's, it's, I don't know, I want to sleep around with who I want to sleep with, I want to do what I want to do with my money, I want to, you know, whatever, it's like, what's the thing behind the thing? Yeah. So there's that there's the ideas part of it, um, that at least we need to be able to sit down and have those conversations Mm. with with people and make sure that you know for their good that they're engaging the best ideas and not hide behind well that's what they want to believe because it's if you're sitting around thanksgiving dinner and your uncle thinks we never landed on the moon and the earth is flat you're probably going to go yeah you know it'd be it's it's going to be less uh uh it's it's going to be less awkward if i just let him believe that yeah but it ain't good for him Mm in the in the long run so 
truth is probably a good thing we should go after. Um, so all that's the kind of idea side, but then the side that, that also wins people is by, um, by actually living the stuff out and not just having it rest in the land of ideas, but it's actual, are you a loving person? Are you a sacrificial person? Are you a generous person? Do you live the kind of life? Mm. Do you have the kind of joy that, that, you know, inspires people, you know, Spurgeon talks about the idea that, uh, there's this great quote I read the other day from him when he was talking to preachers and he said, you know, if you sit there and you're all monotone and just bore, you have a boring life. He's like, it wasn't a boring life and a monotone that, that raised Lazarus from the dead, mm. you know, and, and if you wear hell on your face, no one's going to be drawn. You better show the joy of heaven. You better show the passion of heaven, you know, mm. whatever. It's like how many, how, how many Christians run around there against boring their lives are you know a mess they're they're solemn and serious all the time they never have any fun they don't celebrate mm -hmm. the kingdom i love i love that story in the gospels where they come up to jesus and they're like hey uh so we're all fasting over here and we realize your disciples aren't fasting and i just picture like you know i don't know what jesus was doing at the time but let's picture him with his feet up or something at a coffee shop or whatever and uh he's like yeah my guys aren't gonna fast right now like this is celebration time. The bridegroom's here. They can fast later. Like, but there's no reason to fast right now. We're, 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 we're jacked. Things are going down. It's time to party, you know? And he was always at these weddings and always celebrate, you know, he was, he brought joy and meaning and a way of being into the world um, that is supposed to inspire. And I think that's a way that we can reach a post-Christian culture too, is we embody that in everything that we are, everything that we do. So it's ideas, but it's also the living out of the generosity and the sacrifice and the, are you a loving person um, in the real world? Hands, feet, actual life, hmm. because that brings credibility, you know? Like, okay, for instance, I just asked our global mission and local mission director to give me a number. And the number was this, I wanna know since 2014, so, you know, six years, um, how much money the people who make up Village Church have given away, so not even talking about operational budget, okay? Mm -hmm. We're not talking about that. Um, we're talking about over and above operational budget, a way to local or global mission projects yeah. to people that will never benefit from. So she just emailed me back before we jumped on. $3.6 million cash a way to stuff around the world that doesn't benefit us one iota as a church. That I think carries weight with the present generation. Mm. Like put your money where your mouth is. Show me that you've actually followed the ways of Jesus by loving the poorest of the poor, those on the margins, those who need to be lifted up. Mm. Christianity suffers and dies when it gets into the places of power. We know that it's, it's, it's why it always moves. Yeah, you, know, you go back. You go back to um, Tim Keller. I think talks about this. He says, you know, you go, you look at almost any religion, and um, it's most popular still in the cultures it was birthed out of. Hmm. Okay, so if you look at Islam, it's mm -hmm. mostly Middle Eastern. If you look at Hinduism, you have an Asian or an Indian. If you look at Buddhism, you see Thailand and um, Christianity. You know starts in Israel, yep. moves to Rome, 
then it moves to uh, Europe, then it moves from Europe to North America, and now it's moved from North America to Latin America, 3,000 people a day come to Jesus, and Africa and Asia, which is the fastest growing. You know, Christianity is no longer some white dudes running around. Hmm. That's not the face of Christianity in the 21st century. It, and, and why does it do that? Because when it gets in power, it dies. Hmm. So it moves. And I think what we're seeing in, the tw- in, in North America is it vied for power. It got in bed with power hmm. and it died. The challenge is so much about the way I think some of us think of Christianity, um, that it is just this white western religion and also that there's more to outreaching to those than just running up to your uncle and being like you got to give your life to jesus right now like there is this way of like but are you like just a jerk and a horrible person who's never cared and like when he looks at your life it's like what are you doing right. what are you talking about right so then for those of us who are stuck there because i think for some of us like it's so easy to be stuck there and then to feel overwhelmed where it's like I want to follow Jesus. I want to do these things. I want to be passionate. I want to reach people. I want to live mm. a life that that people look at and go, yeah, I want to I want to be a part of that. Mm. This the last question for you like where should we start if we're if we're in this rut if it feels like we're just stuck if we're almost acting like Christian atheists if we know when people look at our lives it's just a mess and there's nothing really to look forward to or to look at and be like, yeah, I want to be like that. Where where should we start? Cuz we can hear all these things and it feels overwhelming um and sometimes yeah. we'll just do nothing because but if you had like advice on something so broad where do you think that we could start for ourselves yeah I, I mean i think part of it is uh we have to experience god i think mm. we have to seek after experiencing him in a, in a in a particular way you know um I think it was Charles Wesley or John Wesley, one of the two. There's something called a Wesleyan quadrilateral. I don't know if you've yeah. ever heard of that before, yeah. where you you kind of like deduce things about reality by these four, you know, things, reason mm. and tradition and scripture. And the fourth one is experience. Mm. And I think, uh, you know, I, I said this to my church a couple of weeks ago. I said, you know, you want to know, like I got three daughters now, you know, I got a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old. And so... I want them to be Christians when they're 40, you know? So how am I going to do that? It, and I said to my church, it ain't going to be because, you know, of fog machines and cool leaders and whatever, uh, skinny jeans or non-skinny, whatever, wherever it's going, it's going back now to the night, you know, nineties. So, yeah. um, you know, it's not going to be because of that. It's going to be because they have an experience of God. They encounter God. In a powerful way that transforms them that they'll never forget. And he, you know, and so it, it almost is like, are we are we digging deep enough into the, you know, the, the churches that are growing all over the world are churches that are that are small C or large C charismatic. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. You know, sometimes the theology is not always spot on, but they experience God. Mm-hmm. And I think we live in an age, there was a book written a few years ago from a few business guys in Harvard uh, called The Experience Economy. 
And the whole concept was we've moved from like an agrarian economy to a goods and services economy. We've gone through these stages where I, you know, I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a horse and you give me some corn or whatever. That's probably a bad trade on my end, but, or your end, but um, whatever, you know, whatever. And now we've reached this thing called the experience economy where, you know, for instance, if you go to like, I don't know if your listeners are Canadian or American, whatever, Tim Horton's coffee shop or Mm -hmm. Dunkin' Donuts or wherever you are, and you go and sit in a cold seat and get a coffee in a styrofoam cup and sit down, it's basically like saying, hey, just get out of here. Yeah. Right. Like I just drink my coffee. It's a goods and services exchange, Mm -hmm. but you go to a Starbucks, they have a fire and a comfy chair and books makes you feel like you're Tolkien sitting there changing the world, you know, whatever. That's an experience economy. That's like, Mm -hmm. I want you to experience this product. I want you to actually, I don't even, the product is like over here. It's the way that I want you to equate the experience you're having right now with the taste of this coffee, Mm -hmm. because the experience is actually more important. Um, so has the church made that shift yet where we actually are pushing people and inspiring people and teaching people how to experience God in their life? Because that's the beauty of it, mm. you know, to walk with him, that he's a living person. You know, it's, it's actually weird and crazy. It sounds totally like childish when Jesus, you know, in John 15 says, you know, you're my friends. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I'm a friend. You know, it was that old, I am a friend of God, whatever, right? Kind of cheesy. And I, and I, when we started our church, I said, we will never, ever, ever sing that song as a rule. But there's a piece of it where it's like, yeah, it's like, there's a friendship, you know, with God that is actually a beautiful piece of this whole thing. And if you've had God shoved down your throat your whole life as like, you know, uh, just a, just a benevolent dictator, um, then you're never going to, you're going to walk with him as a friend and you're never going to experience him. You're just going to experience, you know, whatever. So I just think that's a big part of what, what I think we need to try to be seeking out even for ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, coming to the place where we're like, I want to experience you. Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to hear you. I want, I want you in my life. Let me, let me just, I'll, 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 I'll give your listeners kind of a closing image of why I believe in this, because if they, if they're listening and they're kind of people who are on the deconversion train, you know, we sometimes forget. Uh, the, okay. So, so I start the book, the problem of Jesus. I start with this story. I'm, I live in Vancouver. I buy this house. Uh, well, we were renting the house at the time. And uh, I am ex- like, I get in a plane and I fly to Toronto to speak at a conference. And there's a guy uh, and he says, Hey, I'd like to meet you for coffee and whatever. I've never sat and talked to the guy. I knew him like 20 years ago. I saw him mm. once. So I sit down with him. We're sitting having coffee at a Starbucks. And he says, uh, <laughs> we're chatting, whatever ministry, church plan, whatever. And all of a sudden he looks me in the face. I'm dead honest. And he says, Hey, what's wrong with your house? And I'm like, what, what do you mean? He's like, how are you liking your house right now? I'm like, I, uh, whatever. Now, what he doesn't know is that for the last three months, 
I've been walking around my house with a baseball bat at two o'clock in the morning, convinced that there's somebody in my house. Uh, Chairs are being dragged across the roof uh, of the ceiling of my house. And then I'll look and my wife is sitting right there and all my kids are sleeping and I'll run upstairs and there'll be nothing. And then I'll be sitting in my office and I feel someone. Mm. And to the point where like I'm downstairs in the basement, stuff's going down. I mean, yeah. I can't sleep. I'm, I'm walking around my house. all Something's going on. So he says this to me and I'm thinking about like, I got to get out of this house. Something's going on here. So he goes, and I've told nobody this. The only person who knows is my wife, her and I. Went, so he goes, um, uh, uh, yeah, something, something's going on. The house. And then he starts to sneeze. He starts to, and he starts to do this weird noise. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm having a physical reaction to your house. What? I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? So he goes and gets a piece of paper and he starts to draw like this guy blueprinted my house himself. He draws what he sees my house being in his mind. He draws my office he says, is this where your office is? Yeah. He says, there's a closet between your bedroom and your office. Yeah. He goes, that's where they are. I said, what? He said, spirits. They're violent. They're sexual. And they were invited there. Oh. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? How does this guy oh, know goodness. anything? So I'm like, dude, what are you? So of course I don't call my wife because I'm in yeah. Toronto, right? Hey, honey, by the way, there's some we got, we got violent some spirits running around. Great. <laughs> so obviously I went, you know, I went home and, and and we were actually already set to move. And I prayed around the house in Jesus name and did all that stuff. But the point is, is, you know, uh, Craig Keener wrote two volume series called miracles. It's like this thick. And he, he investigates legitimate miracles from all seven continents mm. over the last bunch of years and comes up with like, based on medical, everything There's about 200 million claims of miracles in response to prayer or different things that have happened in the last few years. And he documents them all and all this stuff, very respected scholar, like not a nutbag. So here's the thing about that though, Aiden, like, naturalism as a worldview, if there is no God, if there's nothing behind the veil, if only one of those cases is true, mm. naturalism falls apart. It only takes one thing to not pay attention to the laws and mechanics of the universe to break open the concept that there is someone, there is something else going on in the world than just what we can see, taste, feel, touch. And take that, now forget the 200 million that's just right now, take the two last 2,000 years, all the claims mm. of things that have gone on. I'm, I'm telling you, there's a supernatural reality that's, that's calling out. And I think our generation understands that. Oh, our generation. I talk like I'm young. Like I'm <laughs> 40 now. I'm like, you know, Mike. Um, your generation, I think there's a piece of you understanding that it's just now you got to chase it down uh, through the person and the work of Jesus and invite it, invite him into your life to actually experience this. And mm. it'll take you places you've never dreamed of in your life. Man, I was 20 years ago, I was a kid with a chain wallet, you know, so no one would steal my five bucks and uh, skateboard. Yeah, size 45 khakis down to my knees. Uh, 
and I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And I gave my life to Jesus and he upended everything and he's had me on the craziest adventure, you know, but the most meaningful one you could ever imagine. So I think that's the one thing I've seen with all of this too. Uh, and, and with my friends who've fallen away and for those who have fallen away in the past and are now back is the thing that's consistent that I've seen is it's like that experience. So they've heard a lot about God. They've, hmm been to church they've they know all the right things they've read systematic theology but they haven't encountered him for themselves yet and i think that's this huge where maybe a couple of you guys listening just need some demons in your closet <laughs> oh gosh i hope not i hope not Run. Or maybe no, but, just... but there's there is this 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 thing of come and see come and experience and i think for a long time we've just uh fell on the Bible, which is good. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not bad. We fell on tradition, which is good. And like the church and your own reason, like you can know, yeah, I know that's factually, I used to know someone who said, I know without a doubt God exists because of the science, but I just don't care. And it's like, what? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't until that experience hit him that he was able to actually finally. And so I think for a lot of us know that's huge that the first step is try to ask God to like actually have an encounter with him. And I think both you and I would agree that God Jesus are more than willing and excited to actually start on that journey and have that encounter with you and make it real and not yeah. just something you've been told. No, that's so good. Totally. Mark, Great. Thank you so much for this. This has been awesome. amazing. Hey, thank you, sir. Appreciate it.